come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. It's a glitch in the system, in the matrix. Ah, <sighs> yep, and we're good. We're good. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast from outer space. It's your boy Rob Scott. We got our very own Adam, aka Teabag, aka Zitipoita, in the house tonight. Yeah, thank you for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Guten Tag. <laughs> and for those of you that are keeping track, it's episode sixty-four, and tonight we're getting into Operation Paperclip. Yes. Now we are finally back, back from hiatus, back. Just in time for the holidays, I'd say. You know, we are a couple of us doing a little traveling, and, you know, we got full-time jobs, so that's the reason for the brief hiatus. But we are back, and better than ever. And this episode especially, it's going to be a great conversation piece around the dinner table, I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Am I right? I mean, hey, you know, people are going to say this is an appropriate dinner conversation, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say... Bring it up, you know, see what happens. If this isn't first date material, I don't know what is. Exactly, you know. I mean, Worst this is, things have been done around the Thanksgiving table, I'm sure. Yeah, and this is, <laughs> I mean, if anything, guys, this is a history episode. We're on to another history episode, uh, another World War II, uh, one of my favorites. Uh, is Operation Paperclip, as Rob said. And this is a new kind of, I guess, series. Now, is this considered World War II or post-World War II? I guess it kind of bleeds together. A yeah, little a little bit, bit of both. Um, but, I mean, you know, it's tied up there with World War II. Now, okay, this series, like what, I, I guess it's not new, but like what do we call this? You guys got any clever names? Like, you know how we had like our Watergate episode that led into our series on X-Files? We had the Manhattan Project leading into Roswell, like a tie-in episode, a handcuff episode. What do we, what do we call that? Precursor. Uh, he wants a clever name. Oh. Yeah, we need like a good, like clever name or something. You know, we'll put a pin in that, put Ooh. a paper clip on it, oh. <laughs> and we'll come back to that. Um But yes, we are getting into Operation Paperclip, which will ultimately lead into a multiple listener-requested series on two different topics spanning numerous conspiracy theories. Um, Because basically, I'm in the process of putting together two separate outlines, and Paperclip keeps coming up. You know, I hear this name, Paperclip, Paperclip, Paperclip. So I figure, you know, what the hell, let's lead with that. And then we can rightfully dive into these other topics and that will be not named at this time. Yes, that, those we'll will be. Yeah, we'll outline. get to those later at the very end. And we'll call this uh, boiling the water, if you will. Getting yeah, you ready for tea bag. That's a good one. A boiling episode. And uh, really, this is an episode that we probably should have covered by now. Because I mean, how many times has this come up in other episodes? Am I right? Yeah. You are. Now, right off the cuff, you the guys. Yeah, the handcuff, as we say. Uh, are you guys familiar with this? Like, if so, what did you guys know about this? I mean, Teabag, you're a teacher, right? What, what, what do we got? Was a teacher. Is he still a teacher? Who knows? You know, this is one subject I actually have not taught. And as much as I was fascinated, I don't want to say fascinated. That's probably not the right word. As much as I enjoyed learning about World War II when I was younger, I don't think I've ever come across 
Operation Paperclip until we started mentioning it on the episodes. That's because they don't want you to know about it. Yeah, right, I, w- right, I would right. say that. A little bit of whitewashing going on. Now, you, so you had no clue. You had no idea what this was? Not until we started doing research. And honestly, I think it's part of an even bigger conspiracy, the war itself. Okay. Um, now, do we want to expand on that at all? What's this, con- what's this grand conspiracy? Oh, we'll get into that. <laughs> I, I suppose we will, Herr T. Bortel. Now, uh, what do we got, Rob? What did you know, if anything? Um, basically, before doing the research for this um, prep episode, if you want to call it that. Oh, uh, now that's a good one. See, now we're cooking with gas. Uh, no. <laughs> hey, I didn't, I didn't drop the dad joke in there. Um, but all I knew before doing a little research on the topic is that basically post-World War II, the U.S. was like, hey, we got some great minds over in Germany. Yeah, there are a couple of Nazis, but maybe we bring them over here. They can help us get in space, do cool stuff. Okay, so really just the like basic basics, overview? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, I also, NASA might as well be interchangeable with Nazi at this point. I mean, I can't even wear my hat anymore after this research. That's a little bit much. I'm not seeing the point of that. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. All you stoners out there, you've been warned. NASA might as well be a Nazi symbol. Um, because <coughs> NASA, you know, it kind of became like a stoner emblem. Yeah, dude, because you're just fucking <laughs> yeah, spaced out, yeah. dude. Well, I'm Kitty thinking, All right. dude, that shit could be a Nazi emblem. Might as well be. Well, the Nazi symbol is culturally appropriated to begin with if we want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm, yeah, but I don't think we're bringing that back. <laughs> you know, like, it's not, I get that it started as like a Hindu or was it Buddhist, like good luck charm. You know, it used to be on Coke cans and stuff. But it's like, you know, once, Coke cans. Yeah, it did. It used to be on Coca-Cola cans. You can look this up. And then maybe in Germany. Yeah. No, 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 dude. In the US, the the reverse swastika was yeah, on know, Coca-Cola just, cans. And then I'm messing with you guys. And then uh you know, once Hitler kills uh six million Jews under the under this flag. We figure out, let's bring them over here. Launch some fucking rockets into space. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're not that bad of guys if you look at it. Yeah, like for me, for myself, I kind of knew the <laughs> basics. I knew the basics, but after getting deeper and deeper, I was not aware of the extent of how calculated this all was by the U.S. government. You know, you typically hear the basics, like like Rob said. Oh, we, you know, we we had to strike a deal with these Nazi scientists. They weren't that bad. They weren't. Real Nazis. They were forced. They would have been killed. We need to start doing videos so you, you guys know? can just see the expressions this guy's using right now. And then you soon find out that uh, this this was just not the case. Um, but also, it's it's really like a moral question, you know, of, of kind of like this episode is a moral question, a, nor- a moral conundrum of like where do you draw the line and and if you've been listening to us for 64 episodes, you should know by now that the U.S. government has absolutely no moral compass. Yeah, and, and I was actually drawing a comparison line of the U.S. to the Nazis. 
Okay, that's oh, a, this was part of your research. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking not okay. that far off. You know, I'll I'll bring up the points <laughs> at the end, but uh, you know, many of this argument, many of the arguments that I found on this topic seem to be like, who knew and like when did they know? That's the story of life, right there. So, I mean, without further ado, Operation paper clip. Uh, For those of you that have no idea, this was a secret program of the Joint Intelligence Objective Agency, JIOA for short, and in turn was carried out by special agents of the Army CIC, that is the Counterintelligence Corps. Uh, We discussed them a little bit on our Manhattan Project. They went in to like find out about the Germans uh, developing nuclear weapons. You guys remember this? Also known as SICK. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Operation Paperclip was responsible for bringing more than 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians to America. And their families. Yes, for U.S. government employment, mainly between 1945 and 1959. Now, uh, many of these scientists were former members, and some were former leaders of the Nazi party. You know, um, because I'm doing this research, and... uh, The arguments come up again and again, like, you know, they were forced into it, they would have been killed, all this stuff. At some point, the whole forced into it argument kind of becomes null and void when these guys were signing up for the SS as early as 1933. Well, also, I think it was more along the lines of, hey, we're going to pay to bring you over to America where you can continue being a scientist, or you can have a Russian guy shove a fucking Luger in your face and go... Work in those conditions over in the fucking Soviet Union. Yeah, which would have been absolutely brutal. You could be going, living in the fucking Soviet Union up in Siberia, or you can come to America. It's a pretty simple choice. Yeah, it's basically, we're going to, the Russian, the U.S., you can live comfortably. Or live in war-torn Berlin, where everything's fucking rubble and dog shit. Or you can live in, um, you can be forced to work, and then we're going to ship you off to the fucking gulag. Hey, I mean, they had no problem doing it to people. Well, look at Rogue One. Uh, what's that girl? Jen Urso's dad. I know, I know it's a movie, but dude was a scientist working for the Empire, and he was doing all that he could to sabotage the whole operation, get the plans into the hands of the good guys. Yeah, these guys were not doing that. But they could. That's what, yeah, your whole Nolan Void. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you know, now also being that there's – damn near 2,000 of these fuckers that we brought in. We aren't going to go through the entire list. If you are interested um, in like more of these guys' history, check out Operation Paperclip by Annie Jacobson. Um, but again, take this with a small grain of salt here as this is the same lady who named one source on her whole Russian-engineered Roswell theory in her Area 51 book. She was the theory that the, the like Spectrum Russian kids... <laughs> you know so well, hey can i backtrack for a second yeah yeah what do just we got to speak to adam's point i don't know if you covered this in the outline i didn't see it in there from what i read but uh in some of the research that i did i found out that uh basically there was at one point the nazi party had compiled a list of all their top engineers scientists all the good stuff and uh Basically, like right before the war ended, when they're like burning everything to the ground so no one gets caught, this guy found one of the documents that had like a pretty decently sized list of the scientists. 
ends up giving it to fucking James Bond over at MI6. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Ostenberg list. I've got that in here. And uh, I feel like, you know, maybe that guy was one of the guys that Adam's talking about. Like, maybe, like, yeah, he doesn't want to be a Nazi. And he's like, hey, how can I help some of my fucking boys out? But, I mean, I'm sure, obviously, like, there's a couple of fucking douchebags and 1,600 people that were out there, like, trying to make, fucking deadly weapons to murk people with yeah i'd say the a majority (laughs) of them were douchebags uh so to speak but i was just saying you know just just what he said made me think of you know that guy that gave the list to the special intelligence for the uk was probably not one of those guys yeah and i mean we will get into that because i have that in here and that is even disputed in itself but you know, as we'll find out, many it's all of these conspiracy. many of these minds helped to shape the way America advanced scientifically for years to come. And these, I guess, we'll call them the tentacles of Nazi influence, even find their way into American culture, uh, most notably in the space race. Little hint for our next episode, and uh, therefore we will be discussing the top dog. Werner von Braun himself, uh, a good deal of this episode will focus on him as he was USA's biggest pick off this so-called Nazi waiver wire. (laughs) (laughs) This is exactly what this was. I mean, all right, now let's jump into this. Let's set the scene. So, you know, uh, World War II, you know, it's kind of like not looking good for Hitler. This is around like 43, um, you know. It's looking like he's going to lose the war. Uh, Russia's pushing back, you know, the just the brutality of Russia. Like, we talk about this, we talked about this, I think, on one of our previous episodes on just, like, how brutal the fucking Eastern Front was. But, like, also, you got to think, like, America was also button heads with Russia, and they were both closing in on this uh, the same enemy, Germany. And so... You know, then you have this race to like find the best minds because the Cold War basically starts before World War II is even over. And it was really like a clash of ideologies. You know, you got fascism, communism, democracy. And the US, they're thinking like two steps ahead. This is a chess match for them. They're not even thinking about like the outcomes, the ramifications of the Holocaust, all that. They're just thinking of, you know, how we got to look out for ourselves. We got to get these fucking scientists on our side, you know? They're doing crazy shit over here. So the primary purpose for Operation Paperclip was to give the U.S. military advantage in the Soviet-American Cold War and the space race. Now, as the Soviet Union was much more aggressive in forcibly recruiting more than 2,200 German specialists, a total of more than 6,000 people when you include the family members, uh, and they did this all in one night. October 22nd, 1946, this was known as Operation Osavakum. Um, so basically the Russians just put a gun to their heads and said, you know, get your shit, your family, you go to Russia now. You like vodka? You do now. <laughs> you know, they just are fucking, like Rob said, they're shoving a Luger down these guys' throats, telling them to get the fuck on. They got and, high and, priority on the waiver wire. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, you know, Russia. got Jude Law out there helping them out anymore. Yeah, and Russia's. 
<laughs> yeah, of course you're referring to Vasily Zaitsev, uh, <laughs> enemy at the gates. Now, I mean, you know, like Russia was fu- like Russia fucking hated Germany because they like Russia was was fucking ravaged in the war. It was fucking brutal conditions over there. You know, their shit got torn apart. And um, so they fucking hated them. And, and it was like we were saying, like these German scientists were seen as like lesser class humans in Russia. So they treated them horribly and then would just fucking put a bullet in their head when they were done with them. I mean, can you blame them? I mean, no, I really can't. You know, I, honestly, I think, you know, we probably should have done the same, but we didn't. We paid these guys millions of dollars. Um now, Rob, this is what well, you were talking about. On the moon. <laughs> or did we? Now, this is what you were talking about, Rob. So the Ossenberg list. Um, now, after Operation Barbarossa was a gigantic failure, this was the... Um, a lot of lists going around in World War II. Yeah, Operation Barbarossa. This was the Germans' invasion of the Eastern Front, their invasion of the Soviet, because they were buddy-buddy, you know, old Hitler and Stalin, and then... Stalin was kind of weary, and he was like, oh, oh yeah, I'm sending all of my troops to attack the entire Eastern Front. That's as long as the East and West Coast of the U.S. Giant fucking operation. Um, the Soviets begin to push the Germans back because this was a huge failure uh, because the Russians are fucking insane. And uh, if you want to, like, if you want more on that, listen to Check out Dan Carlin's Ghosts of the Oz Front series. Uh, he did a, a, a five-episode series. I think it's like five bucks on his website, but it's fucking incredible. Um, and it really puts into perspective how gigantic the Eastern Front was and how big that was in Hitler's defeat. Um, but, you know, by early 1943, the German government began pulling its top minds from combat. Uh, these were scientists, engineers, technicians, because uh, these guys had all been sent to the front because Hitler wasn't real big on intellectuals, you know? Um, Unless you were painting him like one of the French girls. Yeah, you know, he didn't want, like, he didn't want people overthrowing him, you know? Operation Valkyrie, he didn't want Tom Cruise coming in there blowing him up with the eye patch. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So um, they realize they can't hold the Eastern Front. And they say, okay, let's let's fucking pull these guys, these bright minds, um, get them up in some R and D, you know, research and development. Try to develop some crazy shit. Let's beat all these fuckers with brains instead of manpower. Uh, and so that's where this list comes from. This guy Werner Ossenberg, he was an engineer scientist heading the Def- Defensive Research Association, um, and he compiled the names. Allegedly, this is all alleged. This guy compiled the names of these scientists into what became known as the Ossenberg List. Now, as Rob mentioned, March of 1945 at Bonn University, a Polish laboratory tech found pieces of this list in a toilet. Uh, and also, like, what what's going on there? He uh, finds it from, in, like from, in the back of a toilet. From this what is I like heard, flushed or they uh, they were running out of places to burn paperwork. So they started having their engineers flush it down, like crumble it up and flush it down the toilet. Okay. From what I heard, they ran out of TP. Use the list. (laughs) (laughs) Using this list. Uh, Okay, so uh, anyway, anywho, the the list makes its way to MI6. Uh, They in turn pass it to U.S. intelligence, and that's where this whole thing starts. Now, like we said, some disagree with this. Uh, this is up for debate as it makes a compelling story for the U.S. Like, 
oh, hey, this Polish guy found this list and gave it to us. In the um, toilet. Yeah, and we we just started, you know, recruiting guys. It, it's like kind of a romanticized idea of like, you know, I'm sure the U.S. had notes on these guys well before, the, you know, the end of the war. Now, operations start in what is known as Operation Overcast. Uh, Operation Overcast's original intent was only to interview the scientists, um, but what was learned went on to change the purpose of the whole operation. Uh, Because also, you know, once the Allies start going into Germany and, uh, you know, they're closing on Berlin and they're finding all this crazy shit because, like we said, like the SS was sent to destroy all this shit so that nobody else could find it. There were some good scientists who hid it. Uh, you have a bunch of insane stories like this. Um, they f- start finding a bunch of crazy shit that, like, we didn't even know about. Like, I think we mentioned on um, the Manhattan Project episode, the ALSOS program was the counterintelligence to, like, spy on the nuclear bomb race in Germany. Um, and they found out that, like, they weren't as far into developing that because Hitler thought it was Jew science. Um, so he didn't want to push his guys on that. They were big on like chemicals and like aircraft. Tesseracts. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, they start finding all this other crazy shit and, and they find out that, yeah, their aircraft and their chemical weapons were like light years ahead. So they start thinking, okay, let's, let's start interviewing some of these scientists, get some of this technology. Um, now on May 22nd, 1945, the U.S. Pentagon received a message urging the evacuation of German scientists and their families as most, quote, important for the Pacific War effort. So most of the um, individuals on the Ossenberg list worked at the Baltic Coast German Army Research Center, uh, Penemund, developing the V-2 rocket. Upon capturing these scientists, the Allies initially housed them and their families in Lunsut Bavaria, uh, in southern Germany. This is where the term overcast was popularized by the scientists' family members for for the housing camp where they were held in Bavaria. Now, in late summer of 1945, the JIOA, a subcommittee of the Joint Intelligence Community, was established to directly oversee Operation Overcast, Um, Representatives included the likes of the Army's Director of Intelligence, the Chief of Naval Intelligence, the Assistant Chief of Air Force Intelligence, and representative from the State Department. So all these guys are kind of in charge of, of pulling these guys, interviewing these guys for this list. Now, when the Camp Overcast name of the scientist quarters became locally known, the program was renamed Operation Paperclip in November of 1945. Now, true or false, Marshawn Lynch was responsible for interviewing these scientists. <laughs> I, I don't think they had Marshawn out there uh, interviewing these scientists. Watch the Jays, scientist. <laughs> now, the, so the name, you might be asking, like, where's that name come from? Paperclip. Paperclip, paperclip. 
I'm thinking like they're just looking around. Oh, what what do I see? You know, I love lamp. I love paperclip. Operation paperclip. Boom. <laughs> His, uh, it was actually renamed Operation Paperclip by the Ordnance Corps of the United States Army officers. Um, these guys would attach a paperclip to the folders of those whom they wish to employ in America. This became like uh, a yeah. This was like a little code, I guess, because allegedly some of these guys. Well, they weren't even cool with this. They were like, you guys are fucking out of your minds. We're not employing Nazi war criminals. Like, we're fucking getting these guys <laughs> tried. We're sending their asses to Nuremberg, and they're going to fucking hang. But these other guys were like, no, oh, no, 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 no. We can use these guys. These guys were good Nazis. They weren't that bad. <laughs> Put a little paper clip on there so my buddy knows this is a good Nazi. Uh, <laughs> you know? A good Nazi. Now, in a, no in a such secret- thing as a good Nazi. Hey, I mean, you'll find out there's about 1,600 of these fuckers. <laughs> Only good Nazis are dead Nazis. <laughs> now, yeah, in a secret memo circulated on September 3rd, 1946, President Truman officially approved Operation Paperclip and expanded it to include 1,000 German scientists under temporary limited military custody. Also, another true or false... Truman was under the idea that we wouldn't be bringing in anyone that was associated with the Nazi party when he signed off on this. I mean, there's no way. Like, he had to be in the know of that. I heard that he was like, no, fuck that. And then they were like, oh, we'll just change it. We'll just say they weren't Nazis. And then he was like, okay, we could do that. I mean, yeah, that that could be – see, that's like the government's plan to kind of like whitewash these guys and make it seem like they weren't that bad because we'll get into the controversy of like some of the top dogs. But, yeah, I mean, that was the plan all along in America because they had to – I mean, they had to paint these guys – like propaganda, it fucking worked. Von Braun was on fucking – TV with Walt Disney talking about rockets and everybody was like, oh, this guy's this guy's a pretty good guy. <laughs> you know? Walt likes him. <laughs> yeah. And he, meanwhile, he's fucking back there in Germany. Zundelagen! You know? Now, so the whole thing starts, you know, early on, the United States created the Combined Intelligence Objective Subcommittee. Um, this provided information on targets for the T-forces. This was like a special force of British and U.S. soldiers. T-forces? Yeah, T-forces. Old Means t- a whole different t- thing bag today. T-bag forces. <laughs> yeah, T-bag forces. <laughs> um, I want that shirt made. They went in, uh, they targeted uh, scientific, military, and industrial installations and the employees that worked there for their knowledge. Uh, You know, initially, they just wanted the technology, uh, things like infrared, anything that could be used in the war against Japan. Um, They wanted to find out what technology had been passed on to Japan. And finally, they wanted to just halt the research altogether. There was a specific project to halt the research, which was codenamed Project Safe Haven. Uh, it was the concern. Uh, yes, sticky note was already taken. <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I don't even think post its were around then, so they could they <laughs> couldn't use Project Post It note. Now it was the uh, it was a concern that German scientists might you know immigrate, continue their research uh, into countries such as Spain, Argentina, or even Egypt. Um, all of which had sympathized with Nazi Germany. Uh, so the CIOS, they were responsible for scouting and kidnapping high-profile individuals for the halt of technological advancements in nations outside of the U.S., 
which that in itself is crazy. Just like the U.S. is is so powerful at that point that they're like, hey, we're just going to stop all advancement. That's that's anybody that's smarter than us. We're stopping it. Oh, yes. Now, basically, they would find these guys and uh, they would read them this. On orders of military government, you are to report with your family and baggage as much as you can carry tomorrow at 1300 hours, Friday, June 22nd, 1945, at the town square in Bitterfield. There is no need to bring winter clothing. Easily carried possessions such as family documents, jewelry, and the like should be taken along. You will be transported by motor vehicle to the nearest rail station. From there, you will travel on to the west. Please tell the bearer of this letter how large your family is. So they're basically just scooping up all these guys they can. Now, by 1947, um, this evacuation operation had netted an estimated 1,800 technicians and scientists along with 3,700 family members. Um, Those with special skills or knowledge were taken to detention and interrogation centers, uh, such as one codenamed Dustbin. And this was actually in, like, Hermann Göring's giant fucking Luftwaffe castle outside of Frankfurt. They would, like, hold these guys there and interview them there. Um, Feed them hot dogs. Yeah, they interrogated them in some cases for months, um, just trying to get any information they could. Now, eventually, this whole thought process evolved into, um, as Rob was saying, hell, why not just start bringing these guys in and giving them jobs? Seems seems like a great idea, right? Now, in May of 1945, the U.S. Navy received in custody Herbert A. Wagner, uh, the inventor of the HS-293 missile. This was a German anti-ship radio-controlled glide bomb with a rocket engine underneath it. Um, This achieved the first sinking of a ship by a remotely controlled weapon, the destruction of the HMS Egret, on 27th of August, 1943, another notable success for the HS-293 was the sinking of the transport HMT Rona uh, with the loss of over a 1,000 soldiers, sailors, and crewmen. R.I.P. Pour one out. Yeah, now for two so years... This guy's basically got like the first drone, if you will. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, what it was With a missile attached to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, drones blow people up too. But this guy is basically he's making it's like a gliding missile, kind of like a big glider with a missile that you can like target a place and not have to fly a plane directly over it to drop a bomb. You can just fly this fucking remote control thing, drop this fucking missile. So basically, a drone. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> um, for two years, uh, he first worked at Special Devices Center at Castle Gold in Hepstead House, Long Island, New York. Uh, in 1947, he moved to Naval Air Station Point Mugu, California, the center of the U.S. Navy's research into guided missiles. Um, there, he helped develop control mechanisms for advanced missiles, several of which remain in service today. Mm. Mm. So, also in August of uh, 1945, Colonel Tofty, uh, head of Rocket Branch of Research and Development Division of the U.S. Army Ordnance Corps, offered one-year contracts to German rocket scientists, 127 of them accepted. 
One-year contracts? This is the fucking NFL of missiles? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. This is like their waiver wire. They're offering them like they're tagging it. They're hitting them with a franchise tag. And then if they they do good, they're giving them long-term contracts. Now, in September of- Get out there and show us what you can do. We're (laughs) going to give you a one-year contract. We'll make a decision after that. So in September of 1945, the uh, group of seven rocket scientists and aerospace engineers arrived at Fort Strong, located in Boston Harbor. Um, This was Ferner von Braun, Eric W. Newbert- Theodore A. Poppel, August Schultz, Eberhard Reyes, Wilhelm Jungert, and Walter <laughs> Schwedetsky. Now, between 1945 and 1952, the United States Air Force sponsored the largest number of paperclip scientists, importing 260 men, of whom 36 returned to Germany and one Walter Schreiber re-immigrated to, into Argentina. Um, because people wanted to fucking kill him. Yeah, this guy was <laughs> was a real fucking piece of shit. I mean, all these guys were essentially pieces of shit, but... Uh, all right, so let's get into some of the key figures, because as I said, you know, we're not going to have time enough to get into everybody. Now, is, are these key figures funny to you, T-Bag? t <laughs> I like your... Uh... Rockets and chemicals, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the key figures, I mean, as we said, like the U.S. was really concerned with rockets and chemicals. This was uh, this was our two biggest, like... Still are. Yeah, I mean, they, they loved what <laughs> the, the Nazis were doing with rockets. They loved what they were doing with chemicals. They said, hell, let's fucking give these guys contracts. We'll scoop them off the waiver wire. Um, you ever heard of Elon Musk? So the first guy we'll get to <laughs> is uh, Arthur Lewis Hugo Rudolph. Um, now, this guy was a rocket scientist uh, in Nazi Germany from 34 to 45. Uh, he helped develop the V-2 rocket, um, was brought to the U.S. in November of 45 um, with Von Braun and the rest of the V-2 team. Um, now, he was temporarily in the U.S. for six months, uh, and then after President Truman approved Paperclip in August of 46, most of this group stayed permanently. Now, in January of 1947, he was moved to the Ordnance Research and Development Division at Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas, um, where his family would join him in April of that year. Um, since he had been brought into the U.S. without a visa, he and others were just sent down to Juarez, Mexico, where he obtained a visa and then officially immigrated into the U.S. on the 14th of April, 1949. Did it the right way. Yeah. Had a couple of phony passports, head off to Rio. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> during this time, he acted as the liaison to the Solar Aircraft Company and spent much of 1947 and 49 in San Diego, California, uh, right here. Now, he was naturalized as an American citizen on the 11th of November, 1954, in Birmingham, Alabama. Ain't hard for a white guy to get by in Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> yeah, especially a Nazi. <laughs> now, in 19... 19- I didn't want to go that far with it, but... Hey, man. In 1961, he went on to work for NASA, uh, once again working for Von Braun. Uh, in December of 61, he became assistant director in, of systems engineering. Uh, he served as a liaison between vehicle development at Marshall Sp- Space Flight Center at the Manned Spacecraft Center in Houston. 
Um, he also served as a project director of the Saturn V rocket program from August 1963 to May 1968, and then he became special assistant to the director of Marshall Space Flight Center. Assistant to. Yes, to the director. Now, so... Now, is this guy's Von Braun or Von Brown? I think it's Von Brown. Because I can't believe you didn't think of Von Brown, try to run the cops down. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, I, I mean, back to this Rudolph character, though. Um, so it wasn't until 1983 that the, uh, I think it's the Office of Special Investigation. This is like the, it's like an office that was created to investigate Nazi war criminals came about. But these guys started looking into this guy and there became like a whole controversy. They started saying, hey, you know, Basically, they slapped him with the ultimatum of you can stay in the U.S. and get tried for war crimes in the U.S. or you can go back to Germany. They send him back to Germany. Germany doesn't want anything to do with him because they're like, hey, this guy's a Nazi war criminal. Um, and basically, they were like, they try him. They find there wasn't enough evidence. And then they basically let him have his German citizenship back. This is kind of like, uh, have you guys seen that new show on Netflix, uh, Devil Next Door? Oh, no. It's I like uh, this guy was, you know, they like kept trying to convict this guy of, of being a, um, a war criminal, like a concentration camp guard that did horrible, brutal stuff. And it's... It's constantly just like lack of evidence and mistaken identity, and it gets chalked up to the, the guy basically just got off, you know? And that's the case with a lot of these guys. Um, you know, oh, next guys up. Are getting off. Yeah, next up, we got Bernard. <laughs> well, here's my issue with that, man. You can't wait 40 years later after you've Bernard. used and abused the guy. I know, that's what I'm saying. These guys are fucking. Uh, we'll get to that in our moral conundrum, you know? But I, I kind of okay, want to just okay. get through all, all these guys and their crimes first. Uh, you know, we got next up. We got Bernard Tessman. I think it's Bernhard. Bernhard Tessman. Kind of name. Bernhard Tessman. He's getting. Uh, that's like if that Goosebumps girl had a baby. Bernhard Ermagerd. <laughs> is that like? Is that from Goosebumps? Yeah. I never knew that. Learn something new every day. Yeah, you learn something new every day, Ermagerd. So, uh, Bernhard <laughs> Tersmern, uh, he was a German expert in guided missiles during World War II. Uh, he was involved in the basic planning for Penamund. Uh, this was, you know, the place that provided all the slave labor and stuff for the V 2 rockets. Um, he moved there in late 1936 to supervise construction and conduct first engine testing there at test stand one uh testman worked on wind tunnels then on thrust measuring systems for v2 engines I he also he did now this guy also allegedly um this goes to what you were saying adam like um who of these guys were kind of trying to sabotage well this necessarily isn't sabotaging i think it's more like he cared about the scientific research than mm. the nazi ideologies because like we said, the SS was ordered to burn a lot of this shit. This guy didn't want to lose the years of research they were doing. So he hid 14 tons of files on the V2 
in a cave near the end of the war. Um, this was recovered upon his surrender to the U.S. 44th Infantry Division. Didn't burn that one, did he? Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, he hid this to be used later because he was like, hey, you know, we got all these fucking files. We got to hide these things. And then... It was it, too hard for him to burn. It was later recovered by the U.S. Uh, now, this guy was transferred to the USA at the end of the war. Um, as of January 1947, he was working at Fort Bliss, Texas. Um, he worked his entire life with the rocket team at Fort Bliss and White Sands Missile Range and then Huntsville. As of 1960, uh, he was a deputy director of test division at NASA Marsh Space Flight Center. Uh, you know, next up, we got this guy, Kurt Blome. Now, this guy was a real piece of shit. He was a high-ranking <laughs> Nazi scientist. Just but, this guy. No, I mean all these Pretty guys, but this sure guy would... Kurt Blome. What's that? Pretty sure that's Kurt Blome. Curtis Blow? No, it's uh, it's Kurt Blome. <laughs> I watched a lot of documentaries. It's not Kurt Blome. <laughs> it's not Curtis Blow either. <laughs> yeah. This guy was a high-ranking Nazi scientist before and during World War II. He was deputy of the Reich Health Leader, as well as plenipotentiary cancer research in the Reich Research Council. Now, it was reported in 1943 that Blome was studying uh, bacteriological warfare. Um, and, you know, it's they said he was involved in cancer research because this was like a front for like biological mm. and like germ warfare, like what the Nazis were doing with that. They fronted that as uh, cancer research, looking into cancer, they said. Actually looking at how to give you cancer faster, probably. Now, Blome admitted that he had been ordered in 1943 to experiment with plague vaccines on concentration camp prisoners. He was tried at the doctor's trial in 1947 on charges of practicing euthanasia and conducting experiments on humans. Although he was acquitted, his earlier admissions were well known, and it was generally accepted that he had indeed participated in these experiments. Um, there is even evidence that he experimented with sarin gas on Auschwitz prisoners. Uh, it is believed that American intervention saved Blome from trial. You know, in return, he agreed to provide information to the Americans about his experiments in Dachau and uh, advice in development of their own germ warfare program. Two months after his Nuremberg acquittal, he was transferred to the USA uh, via Operation Paperclip, uh, interviewed at Camp David, Maryland about biological warfare in 1951. He was hired by the U.S. Army Chemical Corps to work on chemical warfare. And his file neglected to mention anything about Nuremberg. He said, hey, you guys, you can blow me. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> uh, now, eventually, he was arrested by French authorities, uh, convicted of war crimes, and sentenced to 20 years in prison. But, of course, he didn't do it because it's France. <laughs> now, uh, also, as... Like, catch me if you can. Yeah, now in 1951, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking Nazi. <laughs> Kiss me if you can. <laughs> now, blow me if you can, <laughs> little French pussy. Now in 1951, uh, weeks after his U.S. arrival, Walter Schreiber uh, was linked by the Boston Globe to human experiments conducted by Kurt Blome at Ravensbrück. 
and he immigrated to Argentina with the aid of the U.S. military. Sounds like a very Jewish name. Maybe he was a self-loathing Jew. Didn't make it to Hollywood, though. Well, I don't think he would have gotten that high up uh, being Jewish. I think the SS probably would have found out about that. You know? Oh, I'm guessing he did a lot of blow me. <laughs> now, uh, there's also this guy, Otto Ambrose. Uh, this was probably like the worst one. Uh, he was a German chemist, uh, Hitler's favorite chemist, in fact. Um, and mm. he was a convicted Nazi war criminal. He was involved with the research of chemical nerve agents, sarin gas in particular. Uh, he was tried at Nuremberg and convicted of mass murder and slavery, served eight years, and then came over <laughs> to the U.S. to work for the good old Department of Energy. Mm. That name keeps coming up. Yeah. So, uh, and then finally, you know, the last, um, what, uh, what, you had something? Oh. I just want to double check. See, I was watching that video you sent earlier. We're talking about the Department of Energy. Doesn't MK Ultra end up coming out a lot of these guys? Oh yeah, like some of these guys. Um, so some of these guys were like they called them hot potatoes, which meant like they were too fucking horrible to bring over to the U.S. Uh, due to like all the trials in Nuremberg and everything. So basically, what they had was like a black site for them to work. This is like completely off the record. And this is where like the seeds of MK ultra were planted. Okay. So that, I mean, we'll get into that on maybe off like, the line. yeah, this was off the line, completely off the line, completely under the radar, the shadow government, black ops type shit. Um, but they yeah. were kind of developing MK ultra with these Nazis and, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to do an MK ultra episode in the near future, but, um, you know, for now, let's move on to our next uh, top dog and crowd favorite. <sighs> and the crowd goes wild. Dr. Werner Magnus Maximilian Freiherr von Braun. Uh, this was one of the leading figures in the development of the rocket technology in Germany as he led Germany's rocket development program before and during World War II. He is generally regarded as the father of the United States space program. Wow. Oh. Now, this guy was... Were you going to say something? No. Now, this guy was born into a wealthy family. Uh, he developed an obsession with rockets and space travel at an early age, much like an American Jack Parsons, who we covered previously. Check out that episode if you haven't already. What episode is that? That is Jack Parsons 1 and 2. We did a two-part series. Numbers, the number, the number. I'm not sure the number, but, you know, this was the guy who was fucking around with, um... Yeah, let's not... L. Ron know, Hubbard. Let's not rub his name in the dirt. Yeah, we're not, but remember we talked about this guy had conversations with Von Braun on the phone when, like, rocket... When yeah. they were, like, laughing at him for wanting to create rockets. Von Braun was the only guy who would listen to him. The U.S. government was laughing at him for wanting to create rockets. So Von Braun developed an obsession with rockets similar to Jack Parsons is what I'm getting at. In 1930, Von Braun attended the Berlin Institute of Technology where he joined the Varenfuhrraumschiffer, uh, the VFR. This was the Space Flight Society. We also discussed this on the Parsons episode. Uh, and he assisted in liquid-fueled rocket motor tests. 
Now, after receiving his degree, he began postgraduate studies at the Technical University of Berlin, earning a doctorate in physics and aerospace engineering. And on July 27, 1934, his group has successfully launched two rockets that rose to heights of 2.2 and 3.5 kilometers. So this was like a huge breakthrough for uh, rocket technology. Um, At the time, however, there was no German rocket society as the VFR had collapsed and civilian rocket tests had been forbidden by the new Nazi regime. Uh, Only military development was possible. And to this end, a larger facility was created at the village of Penemund in northern Germany on the Baltic Sea. Now, this is where a lot of the experiments were carried out. In November of 1937, other sources say December of 1932, Von Braun joined the Nazi party. And a document obtained by the U.S. dated April 23, 1947, states that Von Braun joined the SS Horseback Riding School in 1933. Um, Just for the horses. (laughs) Yeah, so he became an officer in the SS uh, from May 1940 to the end of the war. So, you know, arguably this guy, not the greatest, right? Arguably. (laughs) Now, now, old Von Braun himself claims... I was officially demanded to join the National Socialist Party. At the time, I was already the technical director of the Army Rocket Central at Penamund. My refusal to join the party would mean that I would abandon the work of my life. Therefore, I joined. My membership in the party did not involve any political activities. In spring 1940, one SS colonel looked me in my office in Penamun tell me that Heinrich Himmler sent him to urge me to join the SS. I called immediately to my superior, Major General Dornberger. He informed me that if I want to continue the mutual work, I have no alternative but to join. Now, I mean, what are we thinking here? Like, of, of course this guy's going to say that, or do we think he was coached to say this uh, by U.S. intelligence? Definitely coached. I'm pretty sure his lawyer is the same as uh, Miles Garrett's lawyer. Okay, now this claim... I want to look into a Spygate case on this guy because <laughs> some Bill Belichick motherfucker was out there keeping tabs on this guy. Now, the, the, the claim is like often disputed because in 1940, the SS had no interest in Petamund yet. Uh, there is also no other evidence that pressure was ever used to make people like Von Braun join the Nazi party, let alone the SS. I mean, he says that he joined, like when he joined or when he says he was like forced to join, this is post uh, Night of the Long Knives. You guys familiar with this? Let's let the listeners in on that because not everyone's a history buff. So, Night of the Long Knives. This was uh, this happened in uh, 1934, and this was when Hitler 
kind of after he gained control, basically anybody in the SS or like Nazi leadership that wasn't on board with like the final solution, all the fucked up shit the Nazis were doing, he just it had him killed all in this single night. Every like prominent leader that w- was kind of like questioning Hitler's moral compass just killed. Execute um, Order 66. <laughs> yes, this was just like Order 66. Um, now, SS General Hans Kammler, who was an engineer who had constructed several concentration cl- camps, including Auschwitz, uh, had a reputation for brutality. He had originated the idea of using concentration camp prisoners as slave laborers in the rocket program. Arthur Rudolph, who we mentioned earlier, uh, chief engineer of the V2 rocket factory at Penamund, uh, he endorsed this idea in April of 1943. And the, the most fucked up thing and the crazy thing I found was that more people died building the V2 rockets than were killed by it as a weapon. Because, I mean, this stuff is in the early stages. They're developing this stuff. And Hitler makes Mm -hmm. Von Braun use it as a weapon, see how it does. And I guess it, like, wasn't that great. Uh, But over, Mm. it's, like, estimated over 30,000 slave laborers died building the rockets. Maybe it was, like, a self-sabotage. He was like, I'll just blow the whole shit up and then he'll get off my nuts about it. I mean, I don't know. He still <laughs> launched it at England. It just wasn't as successful as they thought it would be. It just killed 30,000 of their own people? No, no, no. This that They didn't die in like an accidental explosion. Uh, they just worked them to death every day. This was slave labor. Hmm. Like they didn't give a fuck if they lived or died. They would just work them until they died. I mean, conditions were poor. It was fucking brutal. My fingers hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, this is exactly like Ben Stiller and Happy Gilmore. The price is $200 a quilt. Um, well, now your back's going to hurt. Yeah, that you was... just pulled Rocket Duty. <laughs> yeah, that's Von Brown. <laughs> that is exactly Von Brown. You can trouble me for a warm glass of shutzy hell up. Now you will work on the Rocket... <laughs> Oh, you'll fall off. <laughs> oh, you will go to the camps. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Now, uh, I mean, um, that basically sounds like it was the same type of deal. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it re- really was. And um, yeah, the rocket in use was not as successful as the, as the Nazis had hoped. Um, thank fucking Christ. Uh, but, you know, again, early stages of development. Now, former Buchenwald inmate Adam Kabbalah claims that Von Braun went to the concentration camp to pick slave laborers. Um, some prisoners even claim that he engaged in brutal treatment or at the very least approved of it. Now, well, don't you, I mean, not to play devil's advocate here, but I feel like if he went to the camp and was like, guys, come on, this is fucked up then he's probably getting murked. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll get into that. I but mean, it, when you're it, that deep into it, you kind of just have to roll with it, I feel like. Not <laughs> I, con- I mean, I'm not condoning it. I'm just yeah. saying, like, it's not like he could have been like, now, guys, as the chief rocket engineer, I'm going to have to disagree with us using these guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get to that. I got, I mean, let's hear, like, the evidence and the crimes first, and then we'll kind of get into the morality or, like, where you draw the line in the sand and, like, you know, what we think he knew, that kind of thing. 
Um, so, you know, we've got that. We've got the um, the inmate claims, uh, the prisoner claims, the eyewitness testimony. Now, on August, All the Me Too's. On August 15th, 1944, Von Brown wrote a letter uh, to Alvin Schwatzdicki, uh, the manager of the V2 production, uh, admitting that he personally picked labor slaves from Buchenwald concentration camp, which he admitted 25 years later in an interview had been a pitiful shame. Now, I mean, so look at it from, again, other side. I mean, everything's going great for him personally. You know, he's got the money, he's got the resources, he's a... He's got power at a very early age. You know, he was 25. He had 400 people working for him. Money, clothes, and hose. Uh, he had 5,000 people working for him when he was 30. I mean, he was only 33 when he came to the U.S. Um, so I, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like uh, he also knew that he was the shit and he could, like, hedge his bets with the U.S. for citizenship. Now, after, so uh, like his capture, like after using forged papers um, to steal a train, von Braun himself led 500 people through war torn Germany towards the American lines. Um, the SS had meanwhile been issued on orders to kill the German engineers and destroy their records. Uh, the engineers, however, had hidden these in the mine shaft, as we discussed earlier, uh, continuing to evade the, the SS troops. Uh, they found an American private, and Von Braun greeted him by saying, My name is Magnus Von Braun. My brother invented the V2. We want to surrender. Uh, now, American troops, they kind of, the, the ones they captured, these guys, they realized the importance of the engineers. Uh, they went straight to Penamund and... Uh, Nordhausen, uh, this was where it got the V2 program was moved to. Um, they went there to capture the remaining V2s before destroying both sites with explosives. All in all, over 300 train car loads of spare V2 parts made their way to America, including the V2 rocket plans that had been hidden, as we discussed earlier. And not been used as toilet paper. Yes, now, uh, much of Von Braun's team, however, was captured by the Russians. Now, so the U.S. gets this guy. And I mean... Like, and his brother, apparently. Well, I think he just kind of said that. Now, that's again, like, why would he say that? She's trying to, like, mix mm. up some identities, trying to fucking get out, you know? Trying to get the homies out of the hood. Again, trying to hedge his bets. And just imagine, like, the interview process. Or imagine when this guy interviews for, like, NASA, you know? Peep my resume, V2, maybe you heard of it. Yeah, 30,000 people died, so what? We're going to do an interview? Yeah, yeah, here we go. Now, I have on document that you joined the SS in the 30s. Now, what's up with that? I just for the horses. I love the horses. <laughs> <laughs> um... Now, we're noticing a lot of uh, these rocket tests in your notes, a lot of uh, indications that you might have a slight obsession with the moon. Yes, yes. I've, I want to go to the moon because we know for a fact there are no Jews on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and again, God damn it, Von Braun. <laughs> 
We, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to clean this up. Just stop saying Jews altogether. <laughs> no, no, you know, like Just leave the Jews out of it for once. Yeah. So it. this guy, uh, obviously, like, what are we thinking on Von Brown? I mean, this guy. Well, obviously, you're making. You're playing him to be a douchebag. I mean, ob- yeah, that's obviously a joke interview, but I'm, I'm assuming that's, uh, that's <laughs> obviously that's borderline how it went. Now, Von Braun obviously went on to have a lucrative, a successful career right here in the good old U.S. of A. Um, Classic but- Judaism right there with the lucrative bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he did not become a household. Living in New York, making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Now... Uh, <laughs> He did not become a household name uh, to millions of people until he began promoting spaceflight in Collier's Magazine and with a Disney production, Man in Space, in the 1950s. This is as we were saying earlier. He's on TV with old Walt Disney himself. You think this is one of those things where like, at the time it sounded good, and then once you find out who this douchebag really is, you're like, wow, we really fucked that one up. Yeah, and I think also this is like what we were speaking to. This is a sign of like the propaganda working well. Because no, like this stuff <laughs> didn't come out until the 90s. I well, mean, like Walt Disney is like, yeah, we're we're gonna get in, in front of the space thing. We're gonna get <laughs> yeah. I we're think gonna that, promote Disney World. Yeah, and I think this is also where like the anti-Semitic Disney stuff comes from, because I it, mm. I've read Walt's biography, and again, I mean that's a guy who wrote his biography, but he's saying there was like no evidence that Walt himself was anti-Semitic. I mean, yeah, they had racist cartoons, but <laughs> it didn't. Yeah, but it's like yeah. <laughs> it's like. Do you guys think that Walt himself was like anti-Semitic? I mean, I don't fucking personally know the guy. Okay. I mean, other than him hanging out with this fucking douchebag Nazi, there's no real evidence behind it. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, so again, like they're but on also, TV. I feel like he didn't know at the time. He's just like, oh, I'm going to fucking hang out with this rocket engineer. Yeah, exactly. Like he, this was for the kids, you know. Teach about, about Epcot, you know. But I was watching some not of the Nazis. episodes, and he sounds exactly like in the interview. I mean, he's not spouting about the Jews, but he's like, uh, <laughs> you know, he's like, obviously, we have the fuel in there. Like he sounds like the caricature of a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> Because he was. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Uh, and also, like, the crazy thing about Von Braun is um, a lot of historians say that he wasn't even really some crazy engineering genius. You know, like, he... One of those right place at the right time kind of guys. More or less, but he, like, it was his talent for, like, managing and constructing large engineering organizations. So, like, more like... He was in the far right place at the right time. time. <laughs> yeah, like he had a vision for how to construct a giant engineering team and do something that nobody had ever done before. And that was where his genius lay. Like it wasn't like he's Elon Musk making fucking electric cars and like doing crazy engineering feats. He just knew how to manage a large team and, and get shit done. So maybe he was just the manager there and he's like... I want to tell these motherfuckers that I'm a scientist. I mean, I mean, the, I'm not downplaying like he was a, a brilliant engineer, but a lot of in, uh, historians I was reading say that like he was no different than any of the other engineers they had working there. He just knew how to manage these large scale projects. Now, uh, just Von, happened to be a Nazi. 
Yes. Now, Von Braun himself is often cited as the most influential person of the 20th century because of the V2 rocket above all. Um, the, wow. The V2 was so influential in the development of rocketry in the Soviet Union and the United States, along with Britain and France. Uh, you know, even though this was a bad weapon, it was a monumental breakthrough in rocketry, and we would not be where we are today with, with NASA and everything if it wasn't for this guy. Now, refresh my memory on the timeline. Was this before, during, or after when uh, Parsons was working on his rockets? So this was much after. Parsons yeah. was like the generation before. That's what I thought. Uh, or maybe he was like... I think it kind of was like... It was kind of an, a little bit. Yeah, it was kind of like an overlap. Because I Cause think... it's like late 40s, early 50s, right? Yeah, I think... Um, but, you know, he kind of like... It was laughed off. Um, but Parsons was developing like he was developing like Caltech and like the rocket shit, you know, um, before Von Braun had all these resources through Nazi Germany. So he was like right before the war. And then he started getting into the crazy occult shit. Um, but you know, back to Von Braun, like, do we want to argue like the moral points of this? Like, do we see any problems with this? Is there a, is there a statute of limitations for, for like war, Nazi war crimes, you know? I mean, was this guy, wasn't this guy acquitted? I mean, he was never even charged. If a lot the of these. doesn't fit, as oh. they say. <laughs> so you're playing Johnny Cochran in this whole thing. I got a lot of these guys, they were never even brought to trial. Um, and and even the ones that were found guilty, the U.S. still said, hey, bring them on over. Yeah, let's, just let's, send them to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Just sneak them in the back door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? I mean, Von, Von Braun, like he claims, oh, I was trapped. I, I couldn't do anything. I had to join CSS. Uh, you know, like so many of these other guys said, they said they didn't even know about the Holocaust. And, you know, late in his life in the 1960s and 70s, he expressed remorse in letters about the concentration camp prisoners. But the problem with, like, the U.S. bringing in and whitewashing these guys' records and stuff is, like, this makes it look as if, like, he didn't want to be involved in the Third Reich or he was somebody who didn't like the Nazis. But all the evidence... Well, again, it's not like he's going to be like... Fuck yeah, dude. Love Nazis. Love to- Hitler's my fucking boy. I mean, still is. R.I.P. <laughs> Pour one out for him, dude, because that's my fucking homie till death. Yeah, so it's like... He's not going to be saying that in interviews with the fucking U.S. government. So just because, be he, like, just because oh, he doesn't no. say that, then we just, oh, I guess you're right. He's a good guy. Let's give him a job. <laughs> well, apparently, that's how it works. <laughs> exactly. I was like, that's a problem. You don't see that as a problem? I do, but it already happened. Nothing I could do about it. I mean, yeah, I'm saying this guy, like... Okay, all the evidence is like this guy was okay with the Nazis, the Third Reich, until very late in the war. You know, it was only in the very last like two years of the war. And like he was even arrested himself by the Gestapo. And he starts thinking, hmm, maybe we are the bad guys. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, I'm not arguing for the guy again, but I'm just saying like when you're caught up in that shit, it's like you either got to fucking leave it all behind or fucking get on board with it. And it seems like this guy had a lot going on with his damn rockets. Didn't want to leave it behind. Said, fuck it. 
I mean, that's a hell of a thing to get on board with for some rockets. Am I right? That degree you just got, everything you've been working for your whole life, you're just going to have to say, fuck it. Or, you know, be associated with the murder of six million uh, innocent people. Allegedly, he didn't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) So the point I'm making is that he did. He bears some responsibility for his own actions. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure that he knew about it. He There's people that are saying that he went to fucking concentration camps. Yeah, now... And he... Is on record of joining the fucking SS. <laughs> I know it's like it's so like, like the guy's a fucking piece of shit. This guy still has some like moral responsibility for being in that situation. You know, see, like he says, "Oh, I saw the labor, but there was nothing I could do." It's like, dude, you're up close and personal. You're handpicking who would work and who would stay at the camps and die. You're seeing the conditions. You're continuing to work enthusiastically on the program, even after being arrested by the Gestapo. He's essentially a Donald Trump. Hey. He was just there so he wouldn't get fined. <laughs> now, why are we bringing up Marshawn Lynch so much in, in Operation Paperclip? Watch the Jays, scientists. <laughs> now, I mean, like, so I guess we're all in agreement. Like, where do you draw the line? Um, Is there even a line? Okay, I mean, but I'm yeah. saying like, you know, like <laughs> it's like clear cut that this guy was <laughs> like balls deep into the fucking third right. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's basically like Probably giving Hitler a reach around. Throughout his whole life, he seemed to take on like, oh, it, you know, it wasn't my idea, it wasn't my problem, it wasn't my responsibility. There wasn't anything I could do about it. Yeah, it's um, classic rich white guy syndrome. It's always like it was something <laughs> done by it was something <laughs> this was something done by the Nazis, you know? I just wanted to see what Adam would say to that. <laughs> it was like this guy was this was the Holocaust, this was all done by the Nazis, and he allegedly had nothing to do with this, but he was a fucking major in the SS, <laughs> you know? To be where he was in the Third Reich, like, as a case with a lot of these guys that we brought over here and absolved of their war crimes, to be able to rise to the top, like, you were committed to that ideology, and you were in the know. Well, I think more than focusing on what this guy did or didn't do because i mean it's pretty fucking clear to me that he was a nazi he was probably a piece of shit human being in general but i think maybe we look at why was it so important that we fucking bring these pieces of shit over here like yeah they're good scientists but you think we fucking couldn't have done it without them exactly that's a that's what uh the like, argument oh, just is as well just because Fucking rushes doing it means we got to do it. Yeah, like, do you become the evil that you're fighting? Mm. Right? That's like, what? Like, do you take the moral high ground of getting these guys charged, getting these guys tried, and getting them to serve out their punishments, or do you just absolve them because, uh, you know, it, it benefits you? And that's kind of what the American government did. Now, Von Braun died in 1977 of cancer at the age of 65. Um, later in his life and when he was on TV with old Walt Disney discussing rocketry, he did face some criticism for his culpability in the use of slave labor and his knowledge about the camps, uh, but not 
even close to as much as was prompted by the investigation of one of his top managers who we discussed earlier, Arthur Rudolph. Uh, you know, that guy really got the brunt of it. But a lot of these other guys, as we said, you know, we just brought him over here, benefited us, we used them, and then after they die, um, all this information comes out. You Classic know? CIA move. Yeah, I mean, now what do we think about like the morality of the U.S.? I think we're kind of, like you said, focusing on Von Braun and, and his thing, and I think we're all in agreement there. Uh, now what do we think about... As you were saying, like, could we, do you think, like, what would the world look like if we hadn't brought these guys over? Oh, never really thought about that. But probably the fucking same, dude. I feel like it's, I mean, this isn't the only fucking guy in the world that can make a fucking rocket. Yeah, but what if, like, the Russians had gotten their hands on all these scientists? Yeah, but again, I mean, we talked about in Russia, these guys... We're seeing it like it wasn't like the U.S. where they were like, "Hey, come on over." Yeah, these guys are getting treated like they were treating people. Yeah, like these guys, like in Russia, they were like, "Fuck you! You're gonna build this fucking rocket. Fuck you! You make rocket, (laughs) and I'm putting you make rocket or you die." And then off to the gulag, and we're gonna put a bullet in the back of your head. It wasn't like here where, but I mean, you look at Russia, and I mean, they've like. With treating the scientists like that and not even having the top minds, I mean, they did get a lot of Nazi scientists, but they were first in space, uh, first to put a satellite in orbit, first man mm-hmm. in space. Uh, you know, like they had a lot of firsts in the space race. Who got the first woman in space, though? Hmm? I'm not sure. Pretty sure it's the old US of A. With the help from the good old Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Russia got there, too. But here's my thing. like, It's kind of like when you date a promiscuous girl. You know what you're getting into when you go into that. And then as soon as you're done, you're just bad-mouthing her the whole time. All these bad things about her past come up. <laughs> so the, the promiscuous girl is the Nazis? I mean, those aren't my words, but no, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly asking the, for the metaphor, the clarification on the metaphor. metaphor yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting comparison. Um, now, also, do we think like maybe this is a different? This is just a different time? Because I mean, we no. got like think about it. Eugenics began in America. America was the first country to start sterilizing mass amounts of people in insane asylums and shit like that. The Nazis took a page right out of our book. And I mean, we're even after we're also doing experiments on humans. I still are. Yeah. With the syphilis stuff, the MK ultra AIDS. Yeah. I mean all that shit, dude. Mm. So that's where I'm kind of drawing the parallels of like America and, and Nazi Germany. Sometimes, though, I feel like America does so much fucked up shit and has ever since the country was, quote unquote, founded, that it's hard to, like, look into all of the fucked up shit. There's just so much of it that you just want to pretend like it didn't really happen. And, I mean, you look at the country was founded, our country was founded on genocide. Yeah. Again, another parallel right to Nazi Germany. But they're the assholes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you kind of got to look at this. You got to rotate the object, as they say. 
But I mean, I think that obviously, you know, the the Nazis in Nazi Germany at the time were on a far more fucked up level than anyone in the world is right now, I would say. Yeah. I mean, there's still like, really? genocide going on. There's still fucked up things in the world, obviously. But I'm saying there's still probably the CIA and other government operatives out there that are hiding some crazy fucked up shit from us right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. There's probably some fucking kids in the lab somewhere in Ohio in the middle of nowhere. Department of getting, Energy. Getting uh, fucking shots put into them of God knows what. Now, T-Bag, what... what were you about to say something? You do not agree. You're not in agreement that. Um... No, I'm. I, that's fine. I'll give him that. I was just gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> what if this whole this whole war was just this conspiracy, man? Like America's over here minding its own business. Then all of a sudden they hear about rockets and they're like, oh, let's add some fuel to the fire so we can go get these guys. And it's just like Iraq, dude. Okay. Oh, so you're saying, okay, now see, I had a theory that was kind of grander than that, but you're yeah. saying like maybe we had tabs on these guys, we knew the level of technology, we wanted it for ourselves, hey, let's get a dog in this fight, and then we can kind of like steal their fucking, to the victor goes the spoils. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? It's now, an interesting take. Yeah, now see, I had a take kind of playing off that that was maybe, so let's say... I mean, we talk about Illuminati. We talk about reptilians. Like, and Illuminati people are still contacting us via Instagram hey, oh, to yeah. this day. Mm. Um, now, let's say like so there is some secret cabal running shit and they're doing all these calculated moves. What if all of this, like let's say it's like some Freemason lineage, some Illuminati shit, like the entirety of America's involvement in World War II was a giant ruse to kind of develop the science and then obtain these fucks. <laughs> That's what Adam's saying. You know? No, but I'm saying like, because <laughs> the U.S. helped fund the Third Reich. So I'm saying we went as far back as that. We helped fund yeah. these guys. And we were like, oh, we know that they're fucked up. So they're going to do experiments on on all these fuckers. They're going to get a buttload of technology that we couldn't <laughs> ethically get. And then mm-hmm. we're going to kind of obtain these guys. Because when you look at it that way, Bayer, Ford, IBM, all these guys supported the Nazi cause until the U.S. declared war on Germany. You know, I mean, the same thing with ISIS today, if you think about exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, you had IBM built and maintained the card punch catalog system used in conjunction with the tattoos that they gave to death camp prisoners. Um, IG Farben, this was a German chemical company, supplied 84% of Germany's explosives and all of the Zyklon B gas pellets used in the death camps to kill millions. Uh, One silent partner of their operations was J.D. Rockefeller's company, Standard Oil. Uh, the bombings Shocking. Of, yeah, the bombings of London by Nazi Germany, for example, was made possible by a $20 million sale of fuel to IG Farben by Rockefeller Standard Oil Company. Even Union Banking Corporation of New York City, not only did they finance numerous aspects of Hitler's rise to power along with actual materials during the war, but they were also a Nazi money laundering bank, which eventually ex- was exposed for having millions of dollars of Nazi money in its vaults. 
the Union Banking Corporation of New York was eventually seized for violations of Trading with the Enemy Act. And guess who the director and vice president of Union Bank was? Walt Disney. Prescott <laughs> Bush. Mm. Interesting. Yep, very interesting. Old Prescott Bush himself. So, you know, maybe it was some giant fucking uh, grandiose conspiracy to kind of develop this technology elsewhere and then just go in and, and take it. Because when you look mm-hmm. at the war itself, like U.S. in the war against Germany, like we didn't really get involved until very late in that war. And I wonder why. And then we just get all of the best scientists and then we're fucking launching motherfuckers into space. I mean. This is exactly like Rob in fantasy football, man. Guys <laughs> winning. And he thinks he has to go pick up the top waiver claims like a jackass. I do. I mean, hey, you got to Someone's got to get him, you know? Rob's taking notes from uh, the U.S. government over here. It's acquiring these high-level Nazis. <laughs> now, uh, in regards to, like, the U.S., I know we talked about, like, President Truman and, like, and his involvement. Now, before his official approval of the program, uh, for 16 months, uh, it is said that he was indecisive on the program. Uh, However, years later in 1963, Truman said that he was not in the least reluctant to approve Operation Paperclip because of relations with Russia. This had to be done and was done. Sounds like someone else is getting coached now. Now, Mm. I mean, what do we think about that? It's like um, if we do want to go with like this wasn't all set up, it wasn't calculated, this is just the U.S. covering their asses, they really knew, like Adam said, you know what you're getting involved with, a promiscuous girl. Um, So maybe (laughs) like the U.S. really didn't give a fuck and they figure we could kind of whitewash these guys. It's like they were just so – like the U.S. government was so scared of like the threat of – of Russia and communism at the time. Cause th- this is actually also fascinating, like the cold war and like our fear of communism, you know, the blacklisting that went on here. Like I can't even like really fathom that, like, like being in that much of fear of an ideology because you hear like people today, you know, like bitching about all these fucking white supremacists rallying around a statue, but that's just like, 15 redneck assholes <laughs> waving Confederate flags. It's not, yeah, it's not like an entire country that's like slowly like spreading its tentacles to like different countries and, and taking over their entire facets of their economy and shit like that. Like, did you, did you guys have any thoughts on that? Or like our fear of like the red, the iron curtain, as it were? It's a setup, dude. <laughs> set up that's it see that it's all planned out man and like now that we're having this conversation like now i feel paired now i feel like we are in the red scary time dude like <laughs> you're freaking me out man they're interfering with our election still hey, yeah but with our president yeah but they're not it's not the ussr anymore it don't matter same ideology different name dude well, how American to actually use these fucking Nazis like they're some fucking hoes. Use them up for all their <laughs> information. Get all, suck, all, suck all the info we need out of them and then be like, hey, these guys are fucking Nazis. Fuck them. 
they were paid millions of dollars when they lived yeah, here. Yeah, but then as soon as everyone so found out about it, they're like, fuck these guys, send them back to their country. No, they were. most of them were dead by the time people found out about it. Didn't that you weren't we just talking about that guy that had to go to fucking Argentina? Yeah, that was one guy and he escaped Argentina, <laughs> so he didn't even get punished. <laughs> He's fucking soaking it up in the sun. You know? Uh it's just insane the amount of like when you look at the atrocities of World War II, and that's something that's like hammered in so many of these like Ken Burns documentaries and, and shit that you see on the History Channel. And then like look at the people that were punished for it. Not that many. It's insane how many of these high-level guys got off. And, and so many times you hear the same thing of like, well, it was Nazi Germany. They had to do it or they'd be killed. And it's like, okay, so then who were the Nazis? Was, was Hitler, Goring, and Himmler the, only, the fucking three stooges up there? Just the only Nazis? <laughs> Apparently. <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, is, the, is there a number that you can look at? Like the ones that got away versus the ones that actually were imprisoned or killed she'll never know yeah i mean i'm sure that you could look up the numbers but it's like i have so many of them got away and i mean even the high level guys like a hitler like, allegedly hey, killed himself you want a job in the u.s oh yeah i mean Come either got over, a buddy. job in the u.s or killed themselves so like we're never rightfully punished now all in all like numerous paperclip scientists were investigated because of their links with the nazi party during the war only one paperclip scientist George Rickey uh, was formally tried for any crime and no paperclip scientist was found guilty of any crime in America or Germany. Uh, Rickey was returned to Germany in 1947 to stand trial at the Dora trial. Uh, there he was acquitted on lack of evidence. Um, and basically all this shit, as we said, stayed under wraps until the 90s when most of these fuckers were dead anyways. And the government, you know, could just say, um, hey, you know, yeah, these guys were Nazis, but um, they were good Nazis and we got their technology. So who cares? Go fuck yourself and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, dude. You know, it's, it's like the you American were saying. Way. It already happened. There's nothing we can do about it. Cream, baby. Hard to turn down 20 mil, am I right? Now, did we have any... What um, would that equate to in today's economy, by the way? Can when, you run the numbers for that? me? Wait, 20 mil? What was that? The Rockefeller oil deal. Oh, he gave him 20 million in fuel? Yeah. How much would that be in today's economy? Probably like 100-something mil. Well, it's not money. It's that much in fuel. So how much was oil at the time? Probably dirt fucking cheap. Uh, yeah, I mean, God, I'm not going to do the oil conversions over here. It's, it's, it's a lot money. of money, all right? It's, it's, all we need to know is Rockefeller gave the fucking Nazis a fuckload of oil and let them bomb out England. And fucking George Bush's grandpa's over here laundering their fucking money. Yeah, so that's fucking great. That's wonderful. And uh, <laughs> Hell, we'll make him the president one day. Yeah, now do we have any other fi do we have any final thoughts? I mean, do we got a, a TLDL? What do, what do we got for that? The idiot report. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a bad person, as long as you know the right people or the right stuff, you can get away with it. That's all I got. Okay. okay, okay. Now, Rob, we have any closing thoughts on your end? 
Did this guy ever write a book? Von Brown? Yeah. Probably. Called I wasn't a Nazi, but if I was, this is how I would have done it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure he would. Yeah, and if he was alive today, he'd have a Twitter. He'd have a Twitter just like OJ. And he'd be, he- hello, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I fucked Truman's wife. <laughs> hello, Twitter world. She was all over my rocket. Um, so, you know, there you go. It's, it's the fuck. It's tale as old as time. Um, the U S government, U S government, hope Davis listens to this one continues to fuck (laughs) us. Um, so, I mean, we went through this whole episode and now that the U S has all our best Nazis working tirelessly on this rocket technology, the space program has officially launched. It is underway. And that is where our next series will begin. You know, like John F. Kennedy said, we choose to go to the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Hard as my dick in Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) Hard as my dick when I see Marilyn making out with my secretary and I am jerking off in the corner of the pool. And uh, we are going to the moon. Or did we go to the moon? Mm. That is where our series will begin next week, hopefully. Um, Try to get it out next week. Um, If not, stay tuned, and we'll get it when we get it. Now, (laughs) now, uh, I want to cite, well, I mean, you know, we got, we got schedules to maintain. We got the holiday coming up. Um, I mean, I'll be around for the holiday, so hopefully we can all, um, I mean, you got any travel plans, T-Bag? I'll be here. Okay. So hopefully we can get some stuff going. Now for this episode, if you want further reading, I wanted to cite Michael J. Newfield, Um, I read an interview for his book, Von Braun, Dreamer of Space, Engineer of War. Um, This seems to be the de facto um, biography on Von Braun. Like this is the most, this is the most like middle of the road um, taken from many different perspectives. So check that out for for more on him. Um, Airspacemag.com. And operation like a real nerd site. Operationpaperclip.info. Um, so check those out for further readings. And you know, real quickly, um, while we got you guys here, want to give a special shout out to Miles and Lindsay. Uh, I believe they are listeners of the show. Uh, Occasional listeners. So Miles, yeah. Lindsay, if you're listening, we love you guys. You guys had a beautiful wedding. Yes, congratulations on the wedding. Uh, that is where Rob and myself were uh, the past couple weeks, taking some travels, taking couple some time. A couple weeks? It was just one week. Well, I was out there for two weeks, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, and also, want to give a shout-out to Nick Laus and Nina for having a beautiful baby daughter. So congrats. Congrats, Dad. Yes, congrats to them, another listener of the show. And you even heard Nick Laus himself on the Deadpool episode. So check that one out if you haven't already. And yeah. shout-outs to Nick. And, again, got some more requests. Even got a couple emails coming in. Thank you, guys. Uh, again, saw some uh, newer reviews on iTunes. Uh, thank you so much for all the kind words. And uh, if you haven't, you know, continue to uh, 
give us those five-star reviews. Maybe while you're visiting families for the holiday, maybe, you know, just snag a couple of their iPhones, subscribe and five-star review us on, on their iTunes, on their podcast app, you know? Talk to them uh, about Nazis. Yeah, bring yeah, this bring stuff up. Bring up Operation up. Paperclip. Yeah, See what bring they think up about Operation it. Paperclip. Spout some knowledge out. And uh, if you guys have any thoughts on uh, Paperclip or anything you want to hear us cover, uh, be sure to let us know. And uh, on that, thanks again for listening, guys. Uh, as always, feel free to hit us up. Like Ryan said, if you have any ideas, thoughts, compliments, comments, uh, you know, you want to hear something that you've been waiting to hear, but we just haven't got to it yet. Uh, we always like interacting with you. You can hit us up on Instagram. It's podcast from outer space. The uh, email is going to be podcast from outer space at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to the website podcast from outer space.com. You can check out some merch. You can get a t-shirt, get a sticker, you know, maybe give it to your family. Great uh, Christmas present. We know we got that coming up and uh, you can also shoot us a line on there. And with that, I'll be the same and thank you for all the fish. Right in the Fuhrer's face.